Fantastic. I don't know how many of you during lockdown took on the task of trying to teach your mum, your dad or parental figures how to use Zoom or, or any technology just to make sure that the comms could flow as a family. Just put your hand in the air if you experienced some of that training. God bless you, because I know the pain you walked through. Um, God bless you. Um, one of the highlights of lockdown, there weren't many, but one of the highlights for me um, is that my mum and dad joined KXE for a number of months. Um, they could have joined any church globally, but they chose KXC. They didn't even choose my brother's church in Birmingham, Gas Street. They wanted some proper teaching. That was their language, not mine. Wanted some proper teaching. So they, um, I'm obviously half joking. Um, so they, they joined the, the Zoom congregations at KXC. Do you remember we had North, South, East, West, Central? And I found myself in a Zoom congregation with mum and dad. And, and this was the wake-up call where I, I realised I needed to take on the task of, of training a mum and dad. So you, you'll see on this slide um, part of the Zoom call, um, where that was my dad, I've highlighted it and blurred out the others. Um, you can't question his commitment, his heart was fully present, the problem was his crotch was also fully present. Um, so it was like, okay, I'm going I'm to have to phone dad, I'm just going to have to talk through camera angles and the, this kind of stuff. So, so I went through some training with mum and dad on Zoom etiquette, and I know many of you did the same, you had your embarrassing moments, mine was just in front of 100 people in our, in our church family. But, but this is the journey you probably took your parents or parental figures through. It's basically, you're transferring your skill set, so it moves from I do to I do and you watch. Just watch mum and dad, we're entering the Zoom room, okay? Okay, we're going to join the audio, but we're going to mute ourselves because there's a conversation already going on. In other words, you're doing, but they're watching. And then you progress from that. We're going to do it together. This is really fun, Mum and Dad. Um, and then you progress beyond that where you're going to do it and I'm going to watch and mock you from a distance. That's the next step in the chain. And then eventually they can do it by themselves. It's glorious. Some of you might be familiar with this model that moves from unconscious incompetence. This is where your parents have no idea idea how little they know when it comes to Zoom etiquette and using the technology. But through coaching, the right kind of coaching, they move to conscious incompetence. In other words, they're aware of how little they know when it comes to working Zoom. But then with the right kind of coaching, they move on to conscious competence. This is where they're beginning to master it. They're raising their virtual hand to ask a question. And they're giving the thumbs up when they like something you've said, and it's a beautiful moment. And then they eventually eventually progress towards unconscious competence. They're unaware of how brilliant they are at working Zoom. My dad went from that crotch moment to becoming a master of Zoom. Beautiful moment for me. Now, what's that got to do with the teaching series? Um, not a huge amount. Apart from, we're looking today at Jesus with the disciples. How does Jesus go about raising up disciples? Raising up disciples that make disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. Now let's just remember the context of Jesus. He has a fairly short period of time. He's got three years, right? And he's got a small crowd following him. So he's got the three, Peter, James and John. He's got the 12. He's got the 72. But beyond that, there isn't really much of a following. Yes, there are crowds that love him one moment, but turn their back on him the next moment. So it's three years with a fairly small gathering. Yet in those three years, something extraordinary takes place. He develops a family living with such deep conviction 
conviction. So by the time you get to the point of his ascension to be with the Father, when he hands the baton of the kingdom movement onto his disciples, there is a strong enough foundation for explosive growth. Like we are talking exponential growth throughout the Roman Empire. Now, over the last two years, we've become familiar with talking about R rates, transmission rates, right? So the R rate of the church in the early centuries, it was extraordinary. Now, fast forward the clock 2,000 years in our Western secular context, the R rate has gone below one. In other words, the church is in decline right now in this nation. If ever there was a moment to wake up, to explore afresh the discipleship model of Jesus, it would be now. Like I think in the last five or so years, there's been a rediscovery of spiritual formation and the spiritual practices. A load of teaching about following the way of Jesus and it's beautiful, but I want to suggest it's missing one element. The great commission of Jesus didn't say go and be disciples amongst the nations. It said go and make disciples. I think an individualism has crept in where we've started to think about how we can go on a journey of spiritual formation and how we individually can become more like Jesus. But Jesus said at the Great Commission, I want you to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that leads to exponential growth. And now is the time we need it, right? So we're going to look at the model of Jesus This is a summary of how Jesus engages with his followers. There's the invitation into friendship, the invitation into following. Secondly, there's constant encouragement. Thirdly, he gives them authority to do the stuff of the kingdom. Fourthly, he invites them on a journey and gives them space to make mistakes, to have breakthrough moments and breakdown moments, highs as well as lows. But when they hit the lows, when they hit moments of of brokenness Jesus isn't absent he's present with an embrace which leads to a recommissioning he's constantly sending out the 12 sending out the 72 sending out the disciples again and again and again so we're going to zoom in on each leg of the journey starting with the invitation now in Luke chapter 5 this is the moment where Jesus invites some of the disciples to follow now let me set the scene Peter and Andrew and his friends, they've been out fishing one night. They have caught nothing. They are knackered. They are discouraged. They're pulling in the boats. They begin cleaning the nets. And Jesus rocks up and says, can I borrow one of your boats so I can go slightly out from shore and begin to teach the crowd? Because of the shoreline and the hills in the background, it created a natural amphitheater. So Peter was like, fine. So Jesus begins to teach. And at the end of the teaching, he says to to Peter, I know you've been cleaning the nets, but why don't you take out the boats one more time, push out far from shore, let the nets down and see if you catch anything. Now, to understand why this is an awkward moment, let me tell you something about fishing at the Sea of Galilee. You need to know two things. Number one, you only fish at night. You will catch nothing during the day. Everyone knew this. Fishing Sea of Galilee, you fish at night. And secondly, you fish close to the shoreline. The further you push out, the less likely you are to catch anything. So when Jesus says, like, it's daytime, but why don't you push out far from shore and let down the nets? This is kind of an awkward moment. And you can imagine Peter and Andrew and the friends being like, 
oh, that's really encouraging for you to get involved. You're a carpenter, and we don't tell you how to make your chairs, right? And, and we're not really sure you know anything about fishing because you don't fish during the day. And if you do, you, you fish near the shoreline, it's quite awkward. You've actually embarrassed yourself, you know, with your lack of knowledge. But because you're the rabbi, because the crowd's watching, fine, we will push out from the shore. So they push out from the shore. It is daytime. They let down their nets and there is a miracle catch. Everyone would have known, like, this is supernatural what's happening right now. Like, the boats are rammed, the nets are breaking. Peter, he's overwhelmed. He says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. In other words, Peter knows he's in the presence potentially of divinity or at least in the presence of an extraordinary rabbi who's moving in supernatural power. And then comes three words that change everything. But before we get to the three words, let me just explain a little bit about the education system in the first century for the Jewish community. Don't dial out. I know some of you are like, what? Time time to dial out. Dial back in, dial back in. Okay, so you had primary school that was called Bet's Affair, House of the Book. That's where primary age kids would learn the first five books of the Bible, Torah, by heart. How extraordinary is that? When they graduated from Bet's Affair, they went to Bet Talmud, House of Learning. That's where they would learn the, the prophets and the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Now, at the end of Bet Talmud, only the best of the best of the best would eventually approach a rabbi and say, can I be your disciple? And the rabbi would put them through some grueling tests to understand their knowledge of scripture and their interpretation of key texts. And if they were the cream of the crop, the rabbi would say come follow me which is the greatest thing that could ever ever happen to you for you to be raised up to be a rabbi a leader a teacher in the community but for the vast majority of folk they would approach the rabbi and say can I be your disciple and after the test the rabbi would say you don't have what it takes go home and learn the family trade so for Peter and Andrew and his friends they're basically told go and learn the family business learn how to fish And then this rabbi, and not just any old rabbi, this rabbi with great authority, moving in supernatural power, gathering crowds, walks towards Peter and his friends and says the words that they'd been longing to hear that they'd never heard. Come, follow me. In other words... I'm choosing you guys. Like I know you've dropped out of the education system, but I'm choosing you guys and I'm going to raise you up to be leaders in this revolution that's called the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that moment? Like you, you choose us? Like we're kind of dropout fishermen. I think you've got the wrong guys. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm choosing you. Come follow me. And look at the text. Come follow me, Jesus said, I'll send you out to fish of people. Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed. They didn't even have to think about it. Like this is an opportunity to be a disciple of not just any old rabbi, but the rabbi. Like, yes, by family and off they go. Extraordinary. What an incredible beginning. Now, some of you will have heard the story of, of Malala. 
she became the youngest ever Nobel Prize, Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Um, a number of years ago, as a young girl, she took a stand in Pakistan against the Taliban um, for the rights of young girls to get an education. If you know the story, in her teenage years, she was shot by the Taliban. Um, miraculously, she survived. As part of her recovery, she had to come over to the UK to Birmingham. Um, she continued her education in Birmingham. Recently, she's graduated from Oxford University. She is now one of the leading global spokespersons on the equality of women and the right for girls to receive an education. She's an extraordinary individual. She was once asked by a journalist, like, you've lived an extraordinary life and you're so young. How, how did it begin? She told the story of her dad. She said, in, in my culture, if, if you have a baby boy, if the family has a baby boy, the extended family, which would be a large number of people, they would come to your house and they would throw cash into the crib as a way of saying, you've been blessed by God with a little boy and a celebration would begin. But if you had a little girl, the family would gather, but there would be no cash, no ceremony around the crib, no announcement of you've been blessed by God. If anything, people came to grieve that you didn't have a baby boy. But Malala's dad who wasn't a wealthy man. He'd been saving up. So when it came for the family to come and meet this baby girl, he started shoving cash in their hands and said, put it in the crib because this little girl is a blessing from God. And she said, that day set the trajectory for the rest of my life. How incredible is that? When Jesus said to Peter and Andrew and James and John, come follow me, it set the trajectory for the rest of their life. You want to use me in your kingdom revolution? You believe in me. When he calls us to follow and he calls each one of us to follow him, he's basically saying, I'm inviting you into a journey. I believe in you. So it starts with an invitation. It then moves on to this constant flow of encouragement. You know, God sees his children through the lens of love. And when he speaks over his kids, he affirms identity and he calls out destiny. If you read through scriptures, you're going to see this again and again. He sees Abraham, who's grieving the fact that he can't have children. And God says, I see things differently. I'm going to rename you. I'm going to call you, call you Abraham. You're going to be a father to the nations. Like extraordinary. He sees Jacob, that means deceiver. And he says, I'm going to rename you Israel. I see something different. You're going to walk with a limp, but you're going to walk into the blessing of the, and the abundance of God. He sees Moses hiding in the wilderness from Pharaoh. And he says, I see things differently. I'm calling you out as a deliverer. And he sees Gideon hiding in a wine press. And he says, I see things differently. I see a mighty warrior. And he sees David looking after the sheep. And he says, I see the person who will become the greatest ruler in the nation of Israel. And you know what happens when Jesus confronts Peter around his identity? Listen to these words. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. Cephas, meaning rock, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Imagine you're Peter. Do you think you'd ever forget that moment? God in human flesh eyeballing you, saying, I see a rock. You can imagine Peter like, me? A rock? Are you joking? Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Like, me? Affirming identity, calling out destiny. Should it surprise us that Peter becomes a rock? If you read the story of the book of Acts, he becomes rock-like. We know from the scriptures that when God speaks, he acts. The very beginning of the story, he says, let there be light and there is light. When he speaks life over individuals, they come to life. When he says to Peter, you're going to be a rock, Peter becomes a rock. Like our words carry power. We've been made in the image and likeness of a God who creates through speech. When we speak life over people, they come to life. When I was a kid, whenever I got ill, my mum had this kind of setup. It was pretty magical. I still miss it. Um, she would basically bring the duvet downstairs. She would go to Blockbusters, if you can remember that, get some videos out. Um, she would get my favourite snacks with some ice cream. Obviously, I was feeling very poorly. I'd have the day off school watching movies, and mum would always say this over me. She'd say, Pete, the thing about you, when you're ill, you're incredibly brave. And I believe that to be true, so I didn't push back. Um, but every time I was ill, like, Pete, the thing about you, compared to your brothers, um, you're incredibly brave when you're ill. Now, fast forward the clock. Um, I'm in my mid-20s, just got married. And the first time I got ill in married life, it was man flu, it was bad. Like, so I was in bed feeling awful. I felt like B didn't really understand the, the weight of this situation, how devastating man flu can be. Um, so she's about to leave the house to go to work. And, and she basically pops her head through the door and just says, um, or round the door, through the door would be tricky. Um, she pops her head round the door and says, are you going to be okay? And, and this just came out of my mouth. I said, babes, don't worry about me. When I'm ill, I'm incredibly brave. <laughs> and um, she looked at me, and I could see it in her eyes. She was thinking, you're a disgrace. <laughs> you're, you're a grown man. This is absolutely, you should be embarrassed by yourself. Um, but I'd internalised this voice. When you're ill, you're incredibly brave. To this day, when I get ill, I've internalized the voice, you're incredibly brave. Like the words we speak over one another, they go really deep. Can we just agree what a massive waste of time it is trash talking people? Can we just agree what a massive waste of time it is speaking words that would cause people to diminish? Life's hard enough as it is, right? Like, what if we were the kind of church community that we constantly spoke life over one another? Workplace, in the house, with our friends, in the community. The thing I love about you, you know, the, the thing I appreciate most about you. Do you know what I want to encourage you? You're amazing at X, Y, Z. What if we constantly spoke life over one another? Do you know what you'd see? You'd see a church community come to life. This is the way of Jesus. If you want to be a disciple in the kingdom of God, learn how to encourage people. Make it a daily practice. Find every opportunity you can possibly find to speak life over those around you. 
So there's the invitation towards friendship. There's the constant flow of encouragement. Then Jesus entrusts his disciples with authority. This is Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power. In other words, they were anointed by the Spirit and he gave them authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. Now the root word of authority is author. To speak with authority is to speak with the author's voice. Now if you're telling demons where to go, You want to know you've got authority, right? That when they hear your voice, what they actually hear is the voice of Jesus himself. Authority from heaven. And then Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. What's that about? Jesus is trying to train them. If you've got the anointing of the spirit of God and you've got authority from heaven, You've got everything you need. You don't need wealth. You don't need anything else. If you've got the spirit and you've been entrusted with delegated authority, you've got everything you need. One of the problems we have right now in the church is the followers of Jesus don't realize the authority that they have. Right? If, if you realized how much authority you have when you speak, you would speak differently. You would live with less fear. You'd be more courageous. I want to tell you, you don't have some authority. You've been entrusted with all authority. So Jesus invites them onto the journey. He encourages them. He gives them authority. And then a journey begins, right, with highs and real lows. Here's the thing you need to learn about Jesus. He's not a micromanager right? He entrusts people with such responsibility that there's room for spectacular failure and extraordinary success, right? Jesus gives us space for spectacular failure. And when that moment hits, and it it will hit, he's not absent, he's present with an embrace. So let's learn from the apostle Peter. Let's look at some of his highs. Healing the sick, casting out demons, doing the stuff. Now when Jesus sends them out and says, I'm entrusting you to do the stuff, imagine the adrenaline rush. That first time you prayed for healing, it won't happen. I bet it won't happen. It won't happen. It's happened. Oh my goodness, it's happened. Like imagine beginning to flow in that level of power. Then you've got the walking on the water moment. Like this is mind blowing to me. Like This is key to understanding discipleship. So they're on the boat and Jesus walks out to them on the water. They think it's a ghost. And then they begin to realize this might actually be Jesus. This is the kind of thing he might do. Um, and, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, this is Peter understanding the discipleship relationship. If you're the rabbi and I'm the student, you're raising me up to do the stuff that you do. You're walking on water. You're the rabbi. I'm the student. Tell me to walk on water. It's kind of a cheeky request, but Jesus loves it. It's like, yeah, like, come, go on, come. Peter's like, you serious? I was kind of half kidding, but yeah, 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 okay. And he steps out and he begins to walk on the water. Imagine the disciples. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my goodness, right? And then the rest of the story flows that he takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to notice that the waves and he begins to sink. And whenever we preach this passage, we focus on Peter sinking. Like that is not the point of the story. 
the thing that should hit you in the face of, oh my goodness, Peter's becoming like his rabbi. He's actually walking on water. That's a high point, agreed? Like once you've walked on water, you're like, yeah, anything's possible. Go on, let me pray for them. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a rock, I'm a rock. Like you can imagine the confidence beginning to flow. Right, feeding of the 5,000, that happens in the hands of the disciples. Jesus gives thanks and then he distributes it amongst the baskets. But the actual miracle happens in the hands of the disciples. Imagine Peter seeing that, the multiplication of food, manna, bread from heaven, unbelievable. Imagine the transfiguration moment where Jesus' um, identity is revealed in all its glory, his face shining like the sun. Do you think he ever forgot that moment? That is extraordinary. And then you've got the moment where Jesus says, you are a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Like so many high points that he's going to remember for the rest of his life. But we know that the edited highlights, the show reel, we're all familiar with it on Instagram, right? It's just not the true story. It's just not the true story. This is the other part of the highlights reel some of the lows so this is a real low when Jesus basically begins to explain to the disciples that he's going to be killed he's trying to prepare them for the trauma that lies ahead and this is the response of the disciples it has to be one of the most emotionally stunted responses you could possibly imagine they listen to Jesus say, I'm going to die and I want to prepare you for the journey and the response is mm, who's the best like Jesus has just said that he's going to experience betrayal. He's going to be handed over. He's going to die. And they're like, yeah, who's the greatest out of us? Who's your favorite? And you're like, what? That's, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. But it gets worse. Um, Peter falls asleep in Gethsemane. So listen to this then. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's contemplating um, what's to come. He's incredibly anxious. He begins to sweat blood, which is physiologically as anxious as you can possibly be, right? Um, He's in utter turmoil. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is like Jesus in a moment of incredible vulnerability with his close friends. And he says, guys, I feel overwhelmed to the point of death. I I can barely cope in my body with this moment, knowing what is to come. I need two things from you. I need you to stay near and I need you to stay awake. That's all I ask. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I need you to stay near and stay awake. And Jesus goes off to have a prayer time with the Father where he says, Lord, can you not take this cup of suffering from me? Is there another way? And yet not my will be done, but yours. And then he comes back to his friends, Peter, and his friends, what are they doing? They are fast asleep. And he's like, guys, I only needed two things. Stay near, stay awake, like I'm going to go back, I need you to be alert right now, Jesus goes off, same conversation, can you take this cup of suffering from me, not my will be done, but yours comes back, Peter's asleep, third time, comes back, Peter's asleep, now imagine Peter processing this the day after the crucifixion, 
just realizing just how badly he's let his Lord and Savior down. Like he only asked me to stay close and stay awake. I couldn't even do it. Couldn't even do it. And then it gets worse. He cuts off the servant's ear in Gethsemane. I mean, this is just madness. Like Judas comes to betray Jesus. And this is the moment where Peter's like, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. I, I tell you what would help. I'm going to cut this guy's ear off. <laughs> and Jesus is like, Peter, like, what are you doing? I, I, I've spent so long teaching you the way of the kingdom. The kingdom is going to come, but not by taking lies, but laying down our lives. And we're not going to take blood. I'm going to shed my own blood to see the kingdom of God break out. Like, what are you doing? But it gets worse. You have the moment where Peter disowns Jesus. Here's the conversation, Matthew 26. Peter replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I'm a rock. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And by the end of the day, on three occasions, he's disowned Jesus. More than that, in one of the texts, he calls down curses on Jesus to distance himself from being associated, right? And then... He disowns Jesus at the point of the crucifixion. He's not there when his friend is in greatest need. Now imagine the day after the, the crucifixion as Peter is processing what can only be described as deep trauma. I've completely let him down. I couldn't even stay awake. Couldn't stay near. I disowned him. I said I didn't even know him like... Surely this has disqualified me. Like, surely this is game over. He said I was going to be a rock. I'm anything but a rock. Surely this is it for me, right? We've all had moments in the last two years where in our spiritual walk with Jesus, we've probably thought, like, I, I've just screwed up big time. Like, I've so let Jesus down. Like, maybe this even disqualifies me. This next story will blow your mind because when you screw up, when you fall off the bike, what you realize is Jesus isn't absent. He's present with an embrace. So this is the story of, of restoration. Now you can read this in John 21. Jesus rocks up. They're out fishing. They only know how to follow the way of Jesus and fish. You know, so now they're back out fishing and they've been fishing at night on Sea of Galilee. They've caught nothing, deja vu moment. Um, and then Jesus walks towards them and says, why don't you let down your nets on the other side? And there's a miracle catch. Like this is back to Luke 5. This is how the story began in their discipleship. And when they realized like this is Jesus, like Peter can't help himself. He jumps out of the boat. He swims towards Jesus because he wants this moment of restoration and reconciliation. He's carrying so much trauma. He's in search of healing. And the story that follows is stunning. Jesus basically makes them breakfast. They have a barbie. They put some of the fish Shrimp on a barbie. <laughs> and then Jesus takes Peter for a walk. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feeding the sheep is shepherding language. That's the metaphor for leadership in scripture. This is Jesus saying to Peter, you thought it was game over. You thought you were disqualified. You were never disqualified. You're a rock. And I'm inviting you to step into leadership once more. And each of the questions was an invitation for Peter to experience healing in each of the statements where he disowned Jesus. Do you love me? Healing moment. Do you love me? Healing moment. Do you love me? Healing moment. If you read through the book of Acts, the story of the early church, you realise Peter became the rock. This moment of restoration did something so significant that the end of Peter's story is that he was crucified upside down because he didn't even think he was worthy of being crucified in the same manner as his saviour, Jesus. He became a rock. Even though he screwed up big time, he learned that that didn't disqualify him. Jesus wasn't absent, he was present, and he was present with an embrace, which leads to the commissioning. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, not some authority, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Back to where we started. If you look at the church in this nation the way we're doing church you would expect the great commission was go and be disciples but that wasn't the command of Jesus he said go go and make them this journey that you've been on I want you to invite other people into the journey so this becomes exponential growth. I'm not talking addition, I'm talking multiplication. So invite people into relationship, then encourage them, a constant flow of encouragement, then entrust them with responsibility, give them authority and give them space for breakthroughs and breakdown moments and when they break down and when they screw up, embrace them and re commission and go again and go again and go again like this is a moment for us as a church to wake up to shake off this individualism that it's just about you and your walk with God and you following the way of Jesus it's time for us to wake up and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples here's the challenge right This is the population of the UK, 67 million. Let's say we were really ambitious and we developed an evangelistic campaign. We purchased some hoodies and and did the things that we did at university. Um, And we basically said, look, we're going to run loads of initiatives. We want to see 100,000 people come to faith next year, right? We know that the R rate is below one. We're declining. But what if we saw 100,000 come to faith next year? And, and then what if we saw 100,000 the, the year after? Do you know it would take almost a millennium to reach the nation, right? I think that's the model we often operate with. We need some evangelistic campaigns. What if we followed the way of Jesus? What if we said, look, 
I'm going to find one person. And over the next six months, I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to invite them into intentional relationship. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to give them authority, you know, and trust them to actually grow in leadership. I'm going to invite them on, on a journey where they can have breakthroughs and, and breakdowns. I'll be there to embrace them when it goes wrong. And, and I'll commission them to go again and to go again. And together, we're going to try and follow the way of Jesus. And after six months, what if we said to that person, now I want you to find someone, invite them into a relationship and repeat the cycle. And after six months, everyone repeats the cycle and everyone repeats the cycle. Do you know how long it would take? 13 years, just over a decade, just over a decade, right? The question I want to ask you, just as we land, it is where are you on that journey? Jesus said, freely receive and then freely give. Where are you on the journey? Some of you, honestly, right now, maybe this last few years has been brutal and you're like, I think I might have given up on Jesus given up on my faith. I'm kind of not sure what I'm doing in the room. You need to know that Jesus never gave up on you. And his invitation this evening is, come, follow me. I believe in you. I want to walk with you. I want to go on an adventure with you. Some of you, honestly, in the last few months, you just felt deeply discouraged. Life has been tough. And right now, potentially, you're a shadow of the person you were six months, a year, two years ago, Right? What you need now is the voice of the Father to speak courage into the core of your being. Well, God is here and he speaks and he wants to speak to you. Some of you, in terms of your voice, you've lost authority. You know it. You've started to speak with a greater measure of timidity. And Jesus says, I want to give you all authority. There is power in your voice. I don't know who silenced you, who crushed you, but that's not okay. I want to restore your voice and give you authority. Some of you on the journey, maybe you've screwed up big time. You've like, surely that's disqualified me. And I want you to know there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Zero condemnation in Christ Jesus. He's here right now with an embrace, right? That's the invitation towards an embrace. And for those that that you've made discipleship essentially just about you, I want to tell you there is a commissioning available right now by the Spirit of God to actually turn our minds and our hearts and our beings outwards to partner with Jesus in making disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? Like this is the adventure we're invited in on and there is no better adventure.